Hello and good evening and welcome to another episode of Religions, Regimes and Refugees and their Multicultural Mess and Secular Scam. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really, really appreciate your presence. Thank you. I took a little break yesterday because I was very tired and I had to get up early today morning. But here I am and I hope you had a great day yesterday. And as promised, I am going to do something that uh, I've not done in a long time. I was listening to a speech on the internet uh, from Hillsdale College on Miss on Vivek Ramaswamy. He is the presidential candidate for the 2024 elections in the United States. He's only 37, I think. And um, look, he is fantastic. Just the speeches and his gusto and the way he speaks. So today I'm going to give you a speech. I've taken it down. Uh, take notes if you want. And I will put the link of that speech in, in my podcast. And you're welcome to you listen to it live. He is amazing. But I'm going to give it to you on my, from my end so that you understand. Uh, he is fantastic. Really fantastic. Listen to him. And even if he, he doesn't, he becomes or doesn't become the, 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 the president of the United States, just the gusto and the way he speaks his patriotism has a lot to say to us, inspire us and and listen to what he says because it 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 relates in very, very clearly to what we are going through on the Indian subcontinent. So here it goes. So his name again is Vivek Ramaswamy. He is the presidential candidate for the twenty twenty four elections. So he starts by introducing himself and then goes to say, if I learned one thing from my upbringing, it was that the odd man out in the crowd isn't always such a bad thing. I went to a pretty rough public school through eighth grade. It was not particularly abnormal for a kid um, to show up to school with a knife. My parents then switched me to a public Jesuit school, something that shaped my own views even though I am a Hindu. Uh, then I went to college and graduated from Harvard in, 20, in 2007 and from biology. And I ended up becoming a biotech investor uh, and an, instead of an academic scientist. I went to law school along the way. I had the itch to study law and philosophy. I decided to keep my job at the, at the fund where I worked. After I finished law school where I worked, I had a new itch. I had an itch to build something rather than be a passive investor in a law firm. So that I start, so I started a biotech company. I started by developing a drug for Alzheimer's disease, a passion that I picked up for my mother. But ultimately, that drug failed. It was the first drug we developed. That failure hurt and chased me, but... It also taught me that hardship is not the same thing as victimhood. And eventually, thankfully, the, the company went on to develop an important medicine for other diseases, which helped a lot of patients in the end. One of the things was the drug for prostate cancer. I led the company for seven years as I, as I stepped down this January because I felt more compelled to treat um, a different type of a cancer. It was one that propelled, um, sorry, a different type of a cancer. It's a cultural one. And given the reality of the world we live in, I was not really free to speak about it as a CEO of a high profile company. So I had to step down 
not as uh, um, and not go um, not and be a regular citizen. That new disease, that new infection, is spreading across our country like wildfire. It is one that even the best of sciences is not going to cure. That new disease is called the woke culture. It is a new secular religion in America, and its belief system centers on the idea that your identity is based on your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation. Full stop. It pauses uh, that America is a systematically racist country, uh, and if you uh, are black, you are inherently disadvantaged, and that you, if you are white, you're inherently, inherently privileged, no matter how much money you have no matter what your upbringing is. Your race, your gender governs who you are and what thoughts you are allowed to have. That's it. Congresswoman uh, Presley summed it up pretty neatly last year. We don't need more black voices that don't want to be a black voice. We don't need any more brown faces that want, don't want to be a brown voice. Here's the clever part of how this particular virus spreads. If you disagree with those claims, it means that you are racist and you don't know it. The more you resist the woke claim, the more it seems to validate they see, it seems to validate it. If you say, I'm not racist, it means you're racist. If you say all lives matter, it somehow means that black lives don't matter. If you capitalize the W in the white or fail to capitalize the B in the black, you are racist. There is no condemnation in America that, condemnation in America, that is other, uh, other than being labeled a racist. So between pledging fidelity to a new religion and being scared with scarlet R, with Scarlet, every day Americans are choosing to bend the knee. The consequences may be existential in America. This has created a new culture of fear in our country. Fear of losing your job, fear of failing your class in school, fear of becoming a pariah in, in your own community. And almost every day someone is excommunicated from the altar and sacrificed from the civil uh, society for saying the wrong thing. This new culture of fear is completely eroded our culture of free speech in America. A good measure of the health of any democracy is an um, is it in um, is a, is the democrat is the in in democracy is that democracy is the percentage of people who actually feel free to say actually what they actually think in public. And right now, I am sorry to say that we are doing a dismally bad job on that metric. According to a recent survey conducted by the Cader Institute, over 60% of Americans are afraid to say what they believe because of the current political climate, which is not America. That that is not America. It is not the country my parents came halfway around the world to join. It is not the country uh, I learned to pledge to allegiance to as a kid. Um, when we have a new red guard in our country that's reminiscent of the Chinese Cultural Revolution, except instead of adhering to this Marxism, the new guiding principle of this Chinese red guard is a new form of vocism. So that's what we are today. In the name of diversity, we have sacrificed new diversity of thought. In the name of democracy, we have sacrificed our, sacrificed our most important democratic norms of free speech and open debate. In the name of inclusion, we have created an exclusionary culture where certain views are just not welcome. So how do we get here? 
How did this new wokeism become so dominant in our country? That story goes back to the 1990s. A new discipline emerged in academia. It's called the critical race theory. It, it, um, it polites um, race. It, it mixes race and other inherited characteristics created, um, which created this invisible power structure. Um, that actually, given our real social re relationships, um, I probably didn't write that down properly, sorry. In the 19 1890s, Karl Marx uh, said that the invisible power relationships were based on economic disempowerment. But critical race theory changed that narrative. In the 1990s, the critical race theory posited that the real culprit was racial empowerment. Uh, sorry, the real culprit was racial disempowerment. I beg your pardon, so racial disempowerment. But the 90s wokeism used to be about challenging the system. That is something about that that I respect, even if I disagree with it. But today, woke is not about challenging the system. Wokeism is the system. So how did this fringe electoral theory from unknown academics in the 1990s manage to affect our most social institutions today? That is the question. In my opinion, the answer actually begins with the 2008 financial crisis. Immediately after the 08 crisis, you remember that corporations were the bad guys. The old left used to say corporate power has bad, was bad and all had to do it do was redistribute money from rich people to poor people, to give money to poor people. Agree or not, that was a theory. But the new modern world had a different theory that said that they said, what they said was that the real poverty or injustice was not true. It was racial injustice and misogyny and bigotry. Guess what? That presented a once-in-a-generation opportunity for Woke Street. They were no longer the bad guys. They were also they they could become the good guys just by adopting woke values. Remember Occupy Wall Street? But this wokeism stuff that was easy. Applaud diversity and inclusion, put women on boards, create an affinity group of, for people of color, you are good to go. Just what Goldman Sachs did last year when its CEO declared not, uh, not on, um, on the mountaintops of Davos that Goldman would not take a company public in the U.S. unless it, made golden, it met Goldman Sachs standards for board of diversity. Of course, then you can argue who counts as diverse. The banks were thrilled to dance to this new woke tune. They were happy to lend both their money and their legitimacy to this new woke movement. But they needed only one thing in return. Woke left get the new left to leave Wall Street alone. And it worked. Each side got from what they wanted from the trade. Big banks got their market power to force the woke values down our throats. And Return agrees to look the other way to leaving their market power intact. So in a nutshell, here's how it works. Wall Street got in bed with a bunch of millenniums. Together, they both worked capitalism. And of course, they put Occupy Wall Street up for adoption. They don't even know what that means anymore. 
As it turns out, a real similar backroom deal playing out in the other coast of Silicon Valley. Here, here's how it works. Woke activists demand that big tech censors views that way do not. Big tech censors views um, censors views that they do not like. And return, the left agree to leave big tech's monopoly intact. And again, it's working masterfully for both sides. That is how this new arranged marriage works. It is not a marriage of love. This is more like a mutual prostitution and it's working. And the net result of this new le le Leviathan is the woke industrial complex. Um, it's no longer just Wall Street. It's no longer just Silicon Valley. It is the entirety of corporate America as we know it. It's Coca-Cola training its employees how to be less white. Issuing public statements and voting laws, making it sound like a super PAC rather than a drink manufacturer. It's United Nations saying that it's going to apply to a quota system, a quota system to apply race and gender to who, who's in the cockpit, even if that means throwing out the pilot test in the process. It's Major League Baseball deciding, deciding to throw this year's all-star game out of Atlanta. It's Nike donating tens of millions of dollars to BLM. A Marxist movement that professes to care about black lives while it calls for the decimation of the nuclear facility structure. While of course Nike continues to market $200 sneakers to black kids in inner cities who cannot afford to buy books to go to school. Go figure. Liberals accepted as as they love woke causes, old school Republicans look the other way because their inner conscience tells them that the free market culture can do no wrong without realizing that the so-called free market that they idealize does not even exist anymore. So both sides are now blindsided to this new 21st century monster that is far more insidious and far more powerful than anything we have seen in the history of the country. Now, I would love to tell you that it does not get any worse, but it does. There's a new guest who turned up on screen and turned this unholy alliance into a threesome. That's the Communist Party of China. They understand this game more deeply than us. There is even a Chinese word for wokeness, bitsua. It literally means refers, referring to woke white people in the US, and they use it to laugh at us. Even worse, they see... They, are, they use wokeness as a geopolitical tool to erode our standing on the global stage. And if you have any doubt about that, just look at what they are saying. Last year, when the EU members pressed China about China's human rights violation, um, including looking up, uh, locking up one million Uyghurs, uh, Uyghurs in concentration camps, who, by the way, Apple uses as slave labor to make their iPhones, but they won't tell you that. His first response that BLM issues is the U.S. is no better. Um, just last month when China diplomats moral, um, came to the Alaska summit, in his opening remarks, he falsely, um, the foreign minister, I think he said the foreign minister, he falsely asserted that the U.S. is slaughtering black Americans and he hopes that the U.S does better on human rights. That would be laughable if it did not have such a serious consequence. They know that their greatest geopolitical advantage is not our nuclear arsenal, it is our moral standing. Now they are using American capitalism as a weapon to accomplish their own goals. By using corporations to undermine the US from within, 
Take Disney just a couple of years ago. It said it could not fit in Georgia if they passed a new anti-abortion law. Yet they just filmed in Milan last year in Shenzhen province of China. Yet it's ground zero, the epicenter of the Uyghur human rights crisis. And they did not stop there, they went further. They said they talked about the local government and, the, and the, talked to the local government uh, and thank them for lying to film there. That's Disney. The NBA is even worse. The NBA is regularly decries racist injustice in China, in the US. Yet it does not say a peep against the human rights violations in China. And they continue to expand in, the, in, in China. When Daryl Moore, the G, uh, CEO of Houston Rockets, once tweeted, fight for freedom, stand with Hong Kong, LeBron James, once one of the most outspoken critics in the last presidential, presidential cycle, outspoken supporters of BLM just last week, tweeting a picture of the, a cop in Ohio. Hold him accountable. He is the guy who immediately came to Chinese, who immediately, LeBron James is the one who immediately came to to China's public defense. Uh, this two-faced behavior of cel celebrities, cr celebrity cronies, is not just by accident. It is by design. The CCP is playing us like a Chinese mandolin. And it's working and it's done uh, and using, and it's not done using our own companies against us. Why are these companies doing it? The answer is plain and simple. Money. China restricts market access and any company who courtesies the CCP. Even better, in fact, it favors market access to China for those who criticize the U.S. As it's simple as that. Companies are simply doing what companies do. Whatever allows them to make the most money. Unfortunately, American people have fallen for this. It's worked like a charm, especially for China. So now there's no surprise that they are using the same tactic to deflect accountability for, uh, for cover as well. Let's talk about, let's just talk about the name of the COVID-19 virus. The Marburg virus is named after a town in Germany where the town where the virus originated. The Ebola virus is named after a river in Africa where it came from. The Zika virus is named after a forest, uh, 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 the Z, sorry, is named after um, also a forest in Africa, sorry, forest in Africa. Countless other uh, examples. I could go on. Even if it comes to cover to COVID-19, you could say the UK strain, you could say the South African strain, the Brazilian strain, you could say the Indian double mutant stain, um, strain. Any of these are perfectly acceptable, but if you have if you have the COVID Wuhan, you say Wuhan virus, you are immediately bashed as a um, racist and a bigot. Ask yourself why. The CCP has successfully weaponized not just the COVID nineteen pandemic, but the woke pandemic by using the the threat of racism against the United States to evade accountability for its own actions. Worst of all, the American corporations are helping them at every step of the way. That is the real Chinese virus we need to fight. It's a cultural virus that erodes America's greatest competitive um, qualities by equating American idealism with Chinese denialism. And when that happens, nihilism wins every time. Thank you, LeBron James. 
Corporations win. Woke activists win. Communist Party wins. The real losers of this game are the American people and the American democracy itself. So what is the solution to all of this? In 1981, one of my heroes, Ronald Reagan, correctly identified that the greatest threat to a part to to the property to property in the United States was big government. But today, that's only half the story. The real threat of in America is not just big government. It is the new hybrid of big government and big businesses. Look, I am all for cutting taxes, slashing government regulations. But as American Abraham Lincoln said 160 years ago, the dogmas of a quiet past are inadequate to, to the stormy present. We are going to need new legislation, one that meets the challenges of 2021, not just the challenges of 1980. It is no longer about saving capitalism from big government. This is about saving capitalism from itself. In short, we are going to need new legislations that stay true to the unabiding power of private enterprise. Yes, but we'll also recognize it, the ways in which our system has been co-opted and corrupted by external forces. Take, for example, big tech censorship. Conventional wisdom holds that technology companies um, should be free to regulate what, con what content does and, not, and does not show up at the website because they are private companies and the First Amendment. Conventionally just protects from business and censorship, it's fine. That actually misses the point, misses the essence in the real world. The liberal wing of the Congress has actually opted, opted for Silicon Valley through the back door and to do what the government cannot accomplish through the Constitution. If you have any doubt about that, look at what they do in these congressional hearings. Democrats regularly threaten social media companies with regulatory reprisal. If they fall, fail to take down the so-called hate speech, um, um, crisis, if they, then, then they go berserk. Um, and, and it works. Okay. Last year, there, there. Last year, they, before a Democratic congressional grilling, Facebook announces new restrictions on so-called hate speech. These restrictions even become more stringent after Democrats took control of the White House and the Senate. In addition to the White House of Representatives, it was what that Connect Senator, um, what a Connecticut Senator. Uh, Richard Bloomingdale attributed in his words to a shift in the political wings. Those were his words. And he was right. Now, if those congressional threats are the stake, there's also legislative care. There's <clears throat> Section 230 in the 1996 Com Communication Decency Act. <coughs> and he was right. Which immunizes tech companies from liability for censoring con constitutionally protected speech. That then, together, this represents a modern form of crony capitalism, except, except in reverse. Big government is absolutely f able to turn companies on their paws in order to be prohibited constitutionally censorship. And personally, I believe that state under the mantle of private enterprise is still state action. I believe that we need a statutory fix under Section 230. We need to fix Section 230. 
you benefit under this kind of broad brand of federal immunity. And then these tech companies have to be bound under the same standards as the federal government. Um, the federal government cannot dispatch a private company to do what the federal company cannot do privately. Um, and then when that comes to censorship, it means that abiding to the standard of the First Amendment, after all, even if you are a tech company. So as long as you're benefiting from Section 230 immunity, I am in, in favor of other legislative censorship that legislates crony capitalism and, and especially this reverse capitalism and the fundamental unfairness that results from it especially fundamental unfairness arising from flawed policies in the first place. Um, now, he goes on to give some, ex a, some uh, examples, but I'm not going to go through it. Um, so my view is this. If business cannot follow some... Um, if business cannot follow some someone because they are black or Muslim or gay, then a business should not be able to fire someone uh, just because they are outspoken conservative either. If a social media uh, cannot kick you off their platform for being black or Muslim or gay, they should not be able to deny you service just because you are a hardline Republican or a Democrat for that matter. This is not just an academic debate. It is happening almost all every day in the country. If this cannot happen, this can happen to the 45th president of the United States. It, it can happen to anybody. But in reality, these legal solutions are just a form of sim symptomatic therapy. We, what we really need in this country is a cultural cure. The real solutions to this problem is to gradually rebuild that shared vision of American identity that is so deep and so powerful that it dilutes uh, non um, that it dilutes this non censorship to irrelevant. The answer does not actually begin with the government. It begins with everyday citizens who are willing to speak up and challenge the new work dogma at school, at work, at home, and in the community. It, is also, it also means cultivating a shared identity, both in ourselves and in the next generation of Americans. With a revival of civic education that we have long missed in our schools, our schools teach us, uh, our students um, our kids to view history with shame rather than pride. Patriotism is on the decline. Religion has, never, has nearly disappeared. What does it even mean to be an American today in 2021? I cannot remember a time in my life when we needed an answer to that question, and I personally believe that the answering that question is the hardest and most important work we will ever do as Americans. Today, as a people, we are hungry for a cause. We are hungry for a sense of power. We are hungry for identity. The absence of a shared cause is the black hole at the center of our nation should. And when you have that vacuum that runs that deep, bad things start to fill that void. That is why it makes wokeness so appealing as part of the new religion of our time. It is the modern version of, the, of opioid for our masses. As American jobs in coming years is to take something more meaningful than just wokeness. Americans are hungry for a cause, and yet we have forgotten that in America, our country itself can be that cause. We have spent over a decade celebrating that diversity and our differences that we have forgotten all 
um, all of the way in which we've actually the same. United by a common set of ideals in our country, most nations uh, in human history have defined by an ethnicity or language or religion or monarch, not America. We were the first and the first and the greatest to be founded by a set of ideals that unify a divided group of people. America, America was not just a place, it was a shared vision of what that place should be. A fundamental part of that religion was that the American dream, the idea that no matter how, what your parents were, you could achieve your dream with hard work, with your ingenuity. I have lived that dream, we call it the American dream for a reason. It is not a destination that we reach, it is a vision that we aspire to. That even if we fall short, we will continue to aspire. Anyway, that is part of what it is. Ends to have a dream. It is, uh, it's an end to have a dream. But over the last decade, something scary happened. We woke up. Once you wake up from a dream, you forget how it all happened. You might remember how it felt, but pretty soon you will forget that too. That's the real danger of wokeness. But we still have time to do, together to do it right. If in the 2010s were about celebrating our demographic diversities, then 2020 should be about what binds us together as a people. The American dream, e pluribus unum. Sorry, that was Latin. For many, for anyone, the, the other might say this is just a bunch of high lighted dribble as we've never lived up to our ideals. And you know what? I, they have a point. It is true that America is not perfect. We are not perfect at our founding. We aren't perfect today. I venture to say that we will never be perfect. But more than any, any nation, America will be the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of a more perfect unity, a pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of liberty, justice, equality, and happiness for all. These are the values that one that the one American that won us the American Revolution. These are the values that united us after the Civil War. These are the values that won uh, or that won us World War One and Two and the Cold War. These are the values that still give hope to the free world. And if we embrace these common values, then nobody in the world, not a corporation, not a nation, not a virus, is going to defeat us. That is what a true American exceptionalism is all about. That is what we will um, marshal in order to defeat the new cultural epidemic. Thank you. My dear friends, that was Vivek Ramaswamy, the uh, presidential hopeful, a contender to the Republican uh, platform for presidency of, of 2024. Fantastic speech. I'm going to put a link in my podcast. Please do listen to it and please do uh, take a look at it. He is great. There's a lot we can learn from the speech. Now, just replace America with India and you will see the same thing is happening. We are twins just on the other side of the continent. So it's important to understand and it's important to understand what he said. Replace the America with India. We have exactly the same problem. So um, I hope you'll revise that. Um, it is a great speech. Spread it to your friends. Please share it with as many friends as possible and we'll go from there. In the meanwhile, thank you for your time. You have yourself a great day and see you tomorrow.